Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whatever time of day it is when you may be listening. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's edition of Bible Bites as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. My reading today is found in John chapter 11 and 12 as we keep moving through the Gospel of John. And chapter 11, primarily, all of this deals with the resurrection of Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha of the town of Bethany. And we don't know what caused Lazarus to die, but he died, and this was shortly before Jesus' final week uh, called the Passion Week prior to his death on the cross. So we have Lazarus and his sister, Martha and Mary, that lived in Bethany, which was near the descent of the Mount of Olives. And it was about a Sabbath Sabbath day journey from Jerusalem. Mary, Lazarus' sister, is the one who we will find anointed Jesus at at least two different times in his ministry, both of them near to his death. We find one of those coming up in the next chapter that we will look at today, John chapter 12. This was on the eve of Jesus' triumphal entry and approximately five days prior to Passover. But the other one that's listed in Matthew 26 and in Mark 14 also tell us that this was Mary, Lazarus' sister, and that it that anointing happened two days prior to Passover. So it does appear that there were two separate anointings, but that Mary, Lazarus's sister, was um, the one that did both of those. Now, in verse 4 of chapter uh, 11, Lazarus is very sick at this point. And we, he ends up dying, but, fi- but read this, it says this, verse 4. When Jesus heard that, that Lazarus was sick, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, this was misunderstood, I'm sure, by them, and it has been misunderstood even by other people who have read it. Because we look at it and we go, well, Jesus just said he wasn't going to die from it, but he did die from it. So what's the deal? There is a physical death that is a natural event. And that is, you could, you could call it the first death, so to speak. That's the one spoken about in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. However, there is a second death. And that death represents eternal spiritual deadness and separation from God. The second death is defined for us in the book of Revelation. And when someone is a partaker of the second death, they, they, have, they have doomed themselves. In other words, during the course of their life, when they had opportunity to re- accept Jesus Christ, and he will give every person plenty of opportunity. But we must make that choice to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior prior to when we breathe our last breath on this planet. And once we have breathed the last breath on this planet, 
whatever decision we made prior to that final breath is what will determine where we spend eternity. And the first death, we may go through that physical death, but God has never appointed any person to experience the second death because the second death means that they are doomed to the lake of fire forever. And that is reserved. The lake of fire was originally built just for the devil and his angels. It's a place of extreme torment um, and it never ends. And it was never designed by God that anyone would go there. But people make that choice based on how they respond to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit's conviction, whether they will receive Jesus or not. And that's true for you. That's true for me. But that's what the second death is talking about here. So that's what Jesus is saying. This, this sickness is not to actual death in terms of taking him out of the picture forever and separation, but it is rather for the glory of God. So, in other words, he would be dead for a short period of time, but God knew that he was going to raise him from the dead. Christ knew that. And the Bible tells us that he loved them very much. But notice this in verse 5 and 6. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, notice this. So, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, you would think that when he hears that they're sick, it's like he'd drop everything and immediately rush over and, you know, take care of the problem or whatever. But he ends up staying two more days. He's not delaying anything. He is allowing the time that was necessary for this miracle to truly manifest the glory of God and who he was. He knew exactly what he was doing. So he, uh, after the two days, the two more days, he goes to meet them. And it's interesting because, you know, the disciples are first concerned that he's going back to the area of Judea because they've heard them talking a lot about stoning him. And they're like, I don't think it's safe for you to be there, Jesus. But he says, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. And in other words, he is saying that he's got work to do. And he has to do it while he's there, while it's still daylight, so to speak, while it's still the day time for him to work because he's going off the scene shortly and he's got to get done what his mission is. And then he goes on and he says, uh, these things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I must go that I may wake him up. Now, the word for sleep in the New Testament can mean death. And in other places, it is used for those that die. Um, Paul, specifically in um, 1 Thessalonians 4 and in 1 Corinthians 15, uses it in that kind of connotation, that the people that are asleep or asleep in Christ, meaning those who have died in Jesus Christ, died but they were believers. So his disciples misunderstand and they say, well, if he's asleep, he'll get well. You know, a lot of times when you get sick, they tell you you need rest. So they're thinking, well, he's sick. He's resting. Leave him alone. Let him get well. In essence, that's what kind of their thought is. But Jesus has to explain to him and he says, 
Lazarus is dead. You didn't get it, boys. And then he goes on and he says, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. In other words, it was time for Jesus to show a greater degree of his power to them and to reveal something to them before he died and would be ascended and, and left the scene. So he's using this as a teaching opportunity. And notice, even when he says Lazarus is dead, he's not chiding them. He's saying it tenderly and lovingly because he understands that they don't understand what he meant when he first said it. So here in verse 16, we see the first hint of Thomas being this doubter and being this one that still had a lot of questions about Jesus. So Jesus comes and Lazarus now, by the time he gets there, has been dead in the tomb for four days. Now, the reason that's significant is because in Jewish custom, they would bury the same day that the person died. That was always the, um, the desire, and they strove to do that at every account. So when we see, for instance, Jesus raising the widow's son earlier in his ministry, he was being carried out of the city to be buried. And that was the same day that he had died because that's what they would do. In this case, what they would do is they would bury them that same day. And after the third day, they would seal it on the fourth day because they believed that on the fourth day that the decay would begin to set in. And the body would begin to stink and the flesh would begin to rot away and all of that decay would start in. And so once the fourth day had come, they knew they were dead, dead, and they would seal the tomb and, you know, place the stone above it or on it and all of that and make sure it was secured. And then they would leave them for a year to, for the body to fully decay. And then they would go in and collect the bones in the ossuary at the year's anniversary of that person's death. So we know that Lazarus was already, he had been dead four days, and Martha makes clear when G, in a few um, more verses down that he's, he's stinking now. She's like, he's already starting to stink, Jesus. You sure you want to open that stone? Okay, so Jesus is aware of that, and he comes, and notice this. I want you to notice something about how Martha and Mary respond when they hear that Jesus is here. Martha, it says in verse 20, now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. Now, he wasn't even in Bethany yet. She went out to meet him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I can see her kind of doing that in a little bit of a, a snotty or bossy type, uh, type way. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us that, but that's, that's how I can foresee her speaking that. But she says this. She still loves Jesus. She says, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So Jesus says, your brother is going to rise again. And she says, I know he's going to rise again at the last day. And Jesus says to her, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, I decide. I'm the controller of life and death. 
I'm the controller of when whatever happens and when it doesn't. It's me. I am the one who can call forth life. And I am the one who can give life. And I can do so at my word and at my will. And then he goes on and he says, He who believes in me, though he may die physically, is what he's talking about here, yet shall he live. Though he may die, he shall still live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He's talking here about that second death. We may die physically. Many Christians have died physically over the last 2,000 years. But they are with the Lord. Paul said to be absent in the body. When we die, we are immediately in the presence of the Lord in that next moment when we breathe our last here and breathe in the breath of heaven over on the other side when we believe in Jesus. Hallelujah. So she says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ. And so she says these things, then she goes and she calls Mary and says, the teacher, meaning Jesus, has come and is calling for you. So Mary goes out to meet him also, but notice this. I want you to see that the things that they said, both Martha and Mary made the exact same statement, but there was a difference. I want you to notice this. Back in verse 20, it says, Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. Okay? Then I want you to see in verse 32. Now when Jesus came, when Mary came, excuse me, when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Can you see the difference? She falls down at his feet. And then it says when Jesus saw her weeping, she was, she was humble. Martha, it appears that she came and met him. In other words, she met him. She may have been upset. She's disappointed. She's disheartened. Maybe she was upset and angry with Jesus because he didn't come in time. And if he had come, he, her brother wouldn't have died. That's what she's telling him. They both say the same thing. But the way they greet him and the way they approach him is far different. And Mary's brought the response with him. It says that he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And so then we have the very shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. He had a love for them. He had a love for the people. He had a love for Lazarus. And so notice this in verse 37. I want you to see where they limited God because it's easy for us to limit God and we must be careful that we don't do that. All of us have a tendency to do it. But notice this in verse 37, it says, and some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? <clears throat> in other words, if he can open blind eyes, can't he heal the sick and keep him from dying in the first place? They limited his capacity to do a miracle to that level. In other words, <clears throat> they were saying he could have healed him and he wouldn't be dead. But now that he is dead, in other words, hey, there's nothing else can be done. They were limiting him. They, they were able to 
to maybe stretch their faith enough to think that possibly Jesus could have kept him from dying, but they could never have imagined and they limited God and couldn't see that Jesus could in fact raise this dead man back to life again. That was beyond their comprehension. That's what that's saying here. So Jesus groans to himself. He comes to the, to the tomb and he tells them, take away the stone. And they take away the stone after Martha says, well, wait a minute, Lord. Uh, you got to realize he's been dead now for four days. He's going to be stinking. Jesus tells him, he says, go ahead, take away the tomb. He said, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So they take away the stone and Jesus prays a powerful prayer there all about the honor of God, the Father's name, and how he is going to be glorified to the, through this and that, that this is being done so that people would believe that he, that God the Father has sent the Son. And so he stands there and he cries with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. It's interesting that he had to put his name on there because there were probably a lot of graves. The Mount of Olives is well known as a cemetery for the Jews. Lots of graves are there. It's very, very possible, if not probable and plausible, that if he hadn't called Lazarus' name, every dead person in there would have come up at the power of his word. So he called Lazarus, and Lazarus came out of that tomb. But he came out bound hand and foot. So he still had to be released. And so he was released. He, Jesus told them, the people that were there, you go and you loose him and let him go. Those perhaps that had moved the stone. He says, loose him now and let him go freely. Now notice, you have two different responses to this same event. The people that were eyewitnesses to it had two different responses. It says, Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. So you've got some that come and they believe in him because of this miracle, which is what Jesus had prayed to God when he prayed. And then you've got others. It says, verse 46, Some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. They became the tattletalers. They had a totally different response and motivation for how they responded to this same event. And I want you to notice something here. It says, beginning in verse uh, 47, the Pharisees and the chief priests now gather a council and they say, what shall we do for this man works many signs? If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They were concerned because they would lose their prestige. They would lose their nation. They would lose their influence because they were proud. But notice this. Caiaphas, the high priest that year, stands up and he begins to prophesy about Jesus being the one that would die on behalf of the whole nation. Caiaphas probably had no idea that this was a very powerful and prophetic word about the truth and reality of what Jesus was doing. He would, in fact, 
die for that nation and for the entire world. And I believe it was because of the office that Caiaphas held that God in heaven used Caiaphas to make this prophetic declaration. And so from that day on, they're doing everything they can to plot to kill him. So now, six days before the Passover celebration was going to begin, before Passover day, <clears throat> we see Jesus coming to Bethany where Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And at this point, he is having a, they're having him a supper. Notice this in verse 2. Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And then we have Mary coming in. Now, Martha here is over the, the spat that she had, the upset and all of that that she had back when we read about it in Luke chapter 10 between her and, Martha, her and Mary. And so Martha's learned her lesson then. Martha has been welcomed. Martha loves Jesus just like Mary and Lazarus do. And so there's a unity there and there's a beauty there. And so Martha is doing what Martha was created to do. Martha's serving. At this point, it fits. It's what she should have been doing. Back in Luke chapter 10, it was the time that she needed to be doing what Mary was doing, and that was sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing his words and receiving them in prophetic uh, fulfillment of Deuteronomy 33.3. But now it's time for Martha to be serving. That's her gift that's her calling, and so it's the right time. And so she's over there, and she's happy as a lark. She's ser serving the meal, and Lazarus is sitting at the table with Jesus. And here we have Mary, the, the, their sister, come in, and it says she takes this pound of costly oil of spikenard. It cost her about a year's worth of wages based on what Judas valued it at. Because she comes in and she pours it. She pours it all over him, anoints him, wipes his feet with her hair. And the house is filled with the fragrance. Well, Judas Iscariot, who was the thief with the money bag, he was the treasurer of the group. He was a thief. He becomes Jesus' betrayer. But he gets all mad because he thinks this is a waste. Because he would have wanted to have some of that money that it could have generated because it was worth a full year's wages to him. And Mary didn't see it that way. Mary did not see it as a waste. Mary saw Jesus as being worth all of that. Now imagine this. Remember, Jesus has just raised her brother from the dead not long before this event, possibly within a day or a few days of this event. And so, do you think that Mary has got some gratitude in her heart toward Jesus? And this is a way she shows him. And she takes a year's worth of wages and pours it on Jesus. Because Jesus is sitting there with her brother who was dead and now is alive again. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, <clears throat> some of the Jews... They come about and they want to see, they want to see Jesus, but they also want to see Lazarus. And notice this too, that now Lazarus becomes a marked man because it's because of Lazarus that many others are believing in Jesus because of what Jesus did for Lazarus who had been dead. 
So they've got a bullseye now on Lazarus as well as on Jesus, and they're going to try to kill him. But thank God, God protected them, and that didn't happen. God has a way of seeing to it that his will is done. So the next day is the triumphal entry day, five days before uh, the Passover, on the, the fifth day before the Passover. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, verse 13, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. They're taking this from Psalm 118, verse 26. It's the messianic cry. And so we know from all, all the gospels writers about this, that they take their coats and all of that, their palm branches, they wave them, they put their coats and spread them out before him. This is a royal welcome to honor and accept a king that is riding in inauguration um, to be inaugurated. You can also find this in the Old Testament, the pattern for it, in 1 Kings 1, verses 32 through 40, and 2 Kings 9, verse 1 through 13. You can also see a Holy Week, Passion Week uh, special that I produced that my ministry did back in the Easter season, the Passover week this year, and it is called The Ride and the Rocks, and where I teach more about this. This event also is fulfilling Zechariah 9, 9, that prophetic word, about the king of Israel coming lowly, riding on a, a donkey into Jerusalem. And that's exactly what's happening here. I want to read to you verse 17. It says, Therefore the people who were with him, meaning Jesus, when he called Lazarus out of, the, out of his tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. And I thought about that. Are you and I people who have seen and know that Jesus has called us out of our tomb, whatever that may be, bondage, addiction, whatever sin it is, pride, depression, whatever it is. If Jesus has called you out of your tomb and called me out of my tomb and raised each of us from the dead, we need to be bearing witness of him. We need to be testifying of him just like they did in their day. Praise God. And so they, um, they come, the Pharisees note it, and they say, well, the whole world's gone after him. You know, they're getting in panic mode, so they're even more determined they're going to kill him now. And so we see next that there are some Greeks that want to come and talk to Jesus. And so Philip and Andrew come to Jesus and tell him, now, I want you to notice this. In verse 23, this is Jesus' response to them. He says this, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. 
He's on his way, he knows that, to his final week where he's going to give his life. And here, these Greeks are wanting to see him, yet he knows that his mission right now is he has to head for the cross because he is like that grain of wheat that must fall into the ground and die for that season because from his death will come great fruit that will reach the world. He says, as long as it remains before it dies, it falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But once it dies, it springs forth into even greater fruit. So Jesus is not turning them away. He's just saying that my purpose is to die for all of the world and it will reach through my death. I will reach you. I will reach your nations. I will reach the entire world and there will be fruit all over the world from my death. And that great fruit is that joy that was set before him that the author of Hebrews tells us about in Hebrews chapter 12. It's all the people who will come to know him from all over the globe, not just the Jewish people, including the Jewish people, but also including the Greeks and the Gentiles that were represented here in this encounter. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. And then we see in verse 46, I want to read verse 46 to you. Jesus is talking again. He's already, he's already expounded on how he knew, John tells us how he knew that there would be some that are not going to believe in him. They fulfill Isaiah's prophecy. They're not going to believe. And so he doesn't um, present himself to them. They were not going to receive him anyway. He knew that heart. But he comes on down in verse 44 and he says, And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And then he goes on and he says, I have come as a light into the world. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Hallelujah. So he has come for the entire world. And this gives hope for everyone because anyone that believes in him does not have to live in darkness any longer praise be to god i pray this has been a blessing to you and lord willing you can join us again for future episodes of bible bites god bless you today in jesus name